Hello and welcome into another episode on the Labumba Pastors blog. I'm Masumba Jonathan. Today's lesson continues our study of the Gospel of John. The title of the lesson is John 19, a responsible man. And our text to begin is John 19, verses 23 to verse 27. We read there, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. The first part of this section explains how Jesus fulfilled prophecy about himself through the clothes he chose to wear. In Psalm 22, we read this, Psalm 22, verse 18. It says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. The clothes of the executed were given over to the executioners. We see the soldiers divided most of Jesus' clothing between the four of them, but his tunic was woven from top to bottom and could not be divided. So the soldiers cast lots to see who would get it. This fulfilled what was so long before prophesied by King David in Psalm 22. Messiah's clothes were divided among his executioners, and they cast lots for some of them. Earlier in Psalm 22, we have this statement that is also fulfilled in Christ's crucifixion. In Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8, we read, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. What does that sound like to you? What does that remind you of? Well, it's exactly what the Jewish leaders mocked Jesus with at his crucifixion. In Matthew 27, verses 41 to 43, we read, So also the chief priests, with the scribes and elders, mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even in his crucifixion, we see God working all the details out to bring literal fulfillment to what had been predicted of Christ. That brings us to the focus of today's study, which is Jesus' care for his mother while he's being crucified. The last mention of Jesus' parent Joseph occurs when Jesus was a boy and gets left behind in Jerusalem. And when his parents saw him, this is from Luke chapter 2, verses 48 to verse 49, it says, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? 
When the people of Nazareth reject Jesus, so that's his hometown, they don't speak of Joseph, but they speak about Mary and Jesus' siblings being present with them. In Mark chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, we read, And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. This strongly suggests Joseph must have died earlier in Jesus' life, because he's not present here. As the oldest son, Jesus was then responsible for the care of his mother. But now he's being killed. He's in the midst of being crucified. In one of his very last statements before his death, Jesus makes provision for his mother to fulfill his responsibility towards her. The disciple we've already identified in this gospel as John was standing near to Mary. Jesus tells his mother that from now on, she is to consider John as her son. Then he tells John from now on, he is to consider Mary as his own mother. The intent of this is clearly explained in the next statement, where we're told, From that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So we see John became responsible for taking care of and providing for Mary, Jesus' mother. This is a remarkable demonstration of the extent to which God holds people accountable for the responsibilities he has given them. God says this to believing men in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a serious charge, is it not? If you fail to provide for the people God has entrusted to you, you are called worse than an unbeliever. You know, culturally in Uganda, one of the important things about being a man is fathering many children, especially sons. This, of course, traditionally was done with several different women. But producing children is not the same thing as being a dad to those children. God says you are under his judgment if you fail your responsibilities to provide for those he has entrusted to you. People seek excuses to get out of this. But God gives none. The Jews invented a tradition where they could claim they were serving God and thus didn't have anything they could do for their parents anymore. In Mark chapter 7 from verse 9 to 13, we read Jesus' rebuke about this. It says, And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. I know of one pastor who was allowing his children to starve, saying that he had left working to minister for the Lord. Therefore, it was up to the Lord to care for those children. Well, actually, 
God says one of the qualifications necessary for fulfilling the office of ministry for the Lord is that the elder be caring properly for his own family. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, from verse 4 to 5, it says, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So God actually says one of the requirements for being an overseer of his congregation is that you are overseeing and caring for your own family well. If anyone could have ever justified himself in being excused from responsibility, it was Jesus in the moment of his crucifixion. He was only about 33 years of age. He had been wrongfully condemned and he was being put to death. He could have said, you know, I'm dying to make provision for eternal life for my mother, to cover her sins. Isn't that enough? He could also have said he had too much pain and misery to be able to think of such things in this moment. But just as John had said earlier about Jesus in chapter 13, where we read, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We see Jesus loving his mother in his dying moments. Isn't Jesus' example an astonishing contrast with leaders in families, churches, and governments that we observe today? Who do those men typically serve? Themselves. I recently read through Nehemiah, and I appreciated greatly the practices of Nehemiah while he served as governor of the province of Judea. The Israelites were under heavy tribute. They had to pay to the Persian kings and then also to support their local rulers. Some of them had gone bankrupt and had to mortgage their homes and farms and then even become debtor slaves themselves. Nehemiah chapter 5 from verse 6 to verse 13 describes this. It says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep his promise. So may, so may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. We see here that some prominent Jews had taken advantage of their poor brethren and were unlawfully exacting interest from them for money they had borrowed. The good people of Israel had used their own money to buy their countrymen out of slavery from the various places 
they'd been sent into captivity. But here in their own land, with the rebuilding of Jerusalem, some of the leaders were wickedly practicing taking advantage of their people and causing their poverty and slavery. Nehemiah confronted this, and then he set this example for how leaders ought to lead. This is from chapter 5 again, from verse 14 to verse 19. It says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year to the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes the king, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration forty shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. Because the people were struggling already, Nehemiah would not even accept the salary he was owed as governor of the land that the people were supposed to contribute to him. Beyond this, from his own resources, he provided for the needs of 150 men and officials every day in Jerusalem, so they also would not be a burden to the people. What was Nehemiah's motivation? Why did he do these things? Because he wanted to serve the Lord and his people. He had compassion on the people's circumstances. Rather than using his position to enrich himself, he actually became poorer to serve the people. This is how responsible men behave. You suffer loss to fulfill responsibility. You don't justify abdicating responsibilities because of difficult circumstances. Jesus shows us that. So men, how are we doing in this area? God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Are you loving the ones God has given you to the end? God bless you all.